Welcome to the Gregory Diggout Podcast. There's a story I'd like to share today about a little boy. He was about 10 or 11 years old and his name was Bobby and young Bobby years ago carried his new boat that he had just built to the edge of the river. He carefully placed it in the water and slowly let out the string. How smoothly the boat sailed in this river. Bobby sat in the warm sunshine, admiring the little boat, the little boat that he had built. When suddenly a strong current caught the boat, Bobby tried to pull it back to shore, but the string broke. You see, the little boat raced down the stream and Bobby ran down the sandy seashore as fast as he could to try to catch up with his little boat. But soon it had slipped out of sight. All afternoon he searched for that boat because he had made it and he loved it. All afternoon he searched for that boat but couldn't find it. Finally, when it was too dark to look any longer, Bobby sadly went home. A few days later, he was on his way home from school and Bobby spotted a little boat just like his in the store window. When he got closer, he could see sure enough it was his boat, the very one that he had made. Bobby hurried to the store manager and said, sir, that's my boat in your window. I made it. The store manager looked at Bobby and said, sorry, son, but someone else brought it in this morning. If you want it, you'll have to buy it for five dollars. Bobby ran home without hesitation and counted all of his money. Exactly five dollars is what he had. So he went back to that store and he threw his five dollars on the counter and he said, here's the money for my boat, sir. And the store manager handed him over the little boat. As he left the store, Bobby hugged his little boat and said, now you're twice mine. First, I made you and now I've bought you. First, I made you and now I bought you. That's exactly what God says about you. You are twice his. First, he made you. And now he bought you. When did he buy you? He bought you when he paid for you in his own precious blood on the cross. First, I made you and now I've bought you. You see, there's something very special and very valuable to this little boy when he gets back what was rightfully his. And you know what? He didn't argue. He didn't hesitate. He didn't fight. He didn't scream. He didn't shout. He wasn't afraid to pay. He wasn't stingy about it. Whatever it cost, I want my boat back. That's my boat. You know what? That's how God thinks about you. No matter how much it cost, no matter what it took, he wanted you back. He redeemed you with his blood, not with silver and gold, which perishes, the Bible says, but with the precious, spotless blood of the lamb. He redeemed you. He bought you back. Why? Because you were his. And then Satan took you and Satan took me and Satan took all of mankind when he caused Adam and Eve to question the character and the nature of God. Satan got into this world and Satan got into the lives of mankind. But Jesus was willing to come and pay any price to get you back. You know why? Because you were his to begin with and he'll pay any price a second time to redeem you. But you know, the good news today is he'll never have to pay again because his blood was enough. 
In fact, his blood was more than enough. And it's more than enough to heal you, more than enough to save you, more than enough to deliver you, more than enough to set you free today. His blood is more than enough. You know, there was a time when the the soldiers came to get Jesus and one of the one of Jesus disciples pulled out the sword. Remember, he pulled out a sword and he was ready to fight. And I think it was Peter because he was always the one ready to fight. Right. He was always the one first rash emotions, cutting people's ears off and all sorts of things. And one of the disciples, maybe it wasn't Peter that said this, but one of the disciples said, here, Lord, we have two swords. And he said, no, it's enough. In other words, we don't need to shed any blood. The only blood that needs to be shed is mine. And it is enough. We don't need your sword. We don't need you to do anything to add to what I'm about to do, because what I'm about to do in shedding my own blood is enough. It's enough. And you don't have to cut and you don't have to shed and you don't have to spill and you don't have to suffer in order to be saved. His blood is enough. His blood is enough. You don't have to fight. You don't have to pull out your swords. You know, there's no, this battle that we're in is not a battle to get the victory. It's the battle to believe that we have the victory. You know, people have said for years and we've even said it and we've said it many times to our staff and our leaders that Easter Sunday is like Super Bowl Sunday. But I thought about that today as I was coming here and I thought, you know what, that's a bad example. It's not Super Bowl Sunday because every Super Bowl Sunday you might lose. One team loses on Super Bowl Sunday. So I don't want it to be Super Bowl Sunday because uh, Super Bowl Sunday means some of us win, some of us lose. It's not Super Bowl Sunday. It's the after party after we've won the Super Bowl. Guess what? We've got the victory. Jesus did it all. We've got the victory, people. And we get to rejoice and we get to celebrate. Christianity is not a life of suffering. It's a life of recognition, recognizing the suffering that was done for you so that you could walk in the victory that Jesus paid for you to have. I know some Christians would try to argue that. No, the Bible says we're supposed to suffer as well. No, we're not supposed to suffer like Jesus suffered. Our suffering is to resist the lies of the devil, to resist the lies that tell you you're not going to make it. That's our suffering. I resist that lie with the word of God. I resist those feelings with the word of God. I resist that depression with God's love. I resist that anxiety with prayer and petition and thanksgiving, making my request known to God. You see, that's the suffering that we do. The suffering we do is we push back on the pressure against us that tries to tell us that we're not going to make it or tries to tell us that we have to perform in order to get God to love us. You don't have to perform another thing in your life to get God to love you. He loved you before you were born. He's always loved you and he's always cared about you. And he always planned on doing everything for you in order for you to be saved. And all that's left for you to do is to receive it and believe it. And when you don't feel it, that's how you suffer by believing it anyway. That's our suffering. Believe it anyway against your senses, against your feelings, against your emotions, against your life experience, against your failure. Boy, who here hasn't failed? We know we can't raise our hand to that. We've all failed. We've all failed. But he will not fail us. Can anybody say amen to that? You know, the resurrection is the most. Important and powerful event that has ever taken place in all of history, and it's not reserved for us to think about it only on Easter. 
It's something that we're supposed to walk in the power of every day of our lives, the power of his resurrection. And and Paul talks about the power of his resurrection and Jesus rises from the dead and reveals himself to his disciples and they worshiped him. But, you know, we don't always feel the power of God, do we? We don't always feel the power of his resurrection. We don't always get up in the morning and have a a sunny day and 70 degrees. Sometimes we have a Palm Sunday day where it snows eight inches before church even begins. Last Sunday was a Sunday from hell. But today we have all risen with Christ today. We're all seated with Christ. And but you know what? We don't always feel the power of God in our chaotic world with so much evil and bad news swirling. We need an anchor. We need to have a strength and a confidence that can only come from God. Life is really hard, folks. Life can be really, really hard. People can be bad. You know, people can be really, really bad as recently as last night, as recently as this morning. Tragedy is struck again in the world. And if you follow the news, it's not hard to find and discover the bad things that are happening, the bombings, the shootings, the killings that take place. It can bring fear. It can bring anxiety. It can bring certain uncertainty. And folks, as 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 bad as the world is, sometimes it feels like the world is falling apart, whether it's politics and our division among our country, whether it's the killing of young children in a school by a mentally ill or psychotic or demonically possessed person, whether it's a loved one that gets cancer, whether it's a child that was diagnosed with autism, whether it's a family member that is hurting or suffering. We're constantly on the edge of fear and anxiety. So what could happen? What can change that? How can we live in a world full of tragedy and a world full of suffering and a world full of confusion and still have joy? Well, that's why Jesus came, because all of the tragedy that exists in this world came from a place of evil that was born in the hearts of men. When Adam and Eve sinned, they gave birth to a distorted view of God. They gave birth to a a God to be afraid of, a God that they had to hide from, a God that they had to run from. But how many know that's not our God? Our God is not a God that we have to be afraid of. Certainly a God we can we can revere and worship and be in awe of. But we don't have to be afraid of him because he's our heavenly father. He's not a God that is trying to judge or condemn us. He's a God who is willing to pay the ultimate price for us. Yes, sin is horrible and sin has a horrible price tag associated with it. But Jesus paid the full price. He took the horrible death to pay for the horrible judgment so that you would never have to pay for that judgment ever again. He took it all on the cross. That's why he said it is finished when he said it is finished. He meant the price has been fully paid. The debt has been fully paid. The sentence has been fully served and the victory has been fully won. That's what he meant when he said it is finished. It is finished. But because we live in a fallen world, we we need an anchor for our soul. I submit to you today that the anchor of your soul is the confidence and faith in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The, The resurrection of Jesus is the single event 
upon which all history hinges. Every bit of your life hinges upon the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If there is no resurrection, there is no hope. If there is no resurrection, there is no power. If there is no resurrection, there is no eternal life. Beloved, this is why Jesus came in the Bible in first John, chapter three, verse eight. And I'm going to read you some scriptures here in first John, chapter three, verse eight. And I think you'll be encouraged by this. And the second part of this verse says this. It says the son of God appeared for this purpose. Now, listen to me. When Jesus came, he healed the sick. When Jesus came, he fed the hungry. When Jesus came, he cleansed the lepers. When Jesus came, he delivered the the helpless and the hurting and the suffering. But the way that he did it and the way that he intended for us to have victory all the days of our life is by coming for this purpose. There's one singular purpose that Jesus came for greater and more important and the linchpin for everything else that he would ever do in our lives. And it is for this purpose that the son of God appeared to destroy the works of the devil, to destroy the works of the devil. And listen, Jesus doesn't fail. In fulfilling the purpose for which he came. Jesus is the greatest success that has ever lived on the face of this earth, and the resurrection is proof of it. The resurrection is the proof of it. Listen, I got to tell you something. Jesus became this holy, glorious warrior when he came to this earth so that he could become your greatest friend. He became the greatest, most glorious warrior to destroy the works of the devil so that he could become the sinner's friend, so that he could become your friend, so that he he could become my friend, so that he could become our savior. And listen, I don't know what battle you're struggling with today. I don't know what your happy face might be covering behind the smile. I don't know what pain you're trying to medicate or what pain some loved one that you're connected to is medicating. But we all deal with pain and we all deal with suffering. And maybe you're battling a migraine or you're battling for your marriage. Maybe you're dealing with a a, a loved one that's died or you're dealing with cancer, depression or anxiety. Maybe you've lost family, friends or a loved one. You see, we all struggle and we all fight and we all stumble through life. But this is what the resurrection and the power of his resurrection is all about. And it all is for this. The resurrection of Jesus means this. All things lose their power in light of the resurrection. All of these things lose their power. All of suffering loses its power because it's only temporary. All suffering loses its power because the resurrection can overcome it. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. The Bible says in Romans, chapter eight, 11, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells inside of you and gives life and gives life. He gives life to your mortal bodies. He gives life to your mortal bodies. You say this. That's when we get to heaven. No, when we get to heaven, we're not given a mortal body. We're given an immortal body, not an immoral body. Some of us have succeeded at that here on Earth. (laughs) Some of you will get that joke later. All right. 
Not a joke necessarily for some. He gives us an immortal and eternal body that will never be destroyed and will never end. But that's not the body he's talking about here. He's saying here in this life, here in this life, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you and gives life. To your mortal body gives life to your temporary life, gives life in your time of need, gives beauty for ashes. You know, the death of Jesus and the resurrection means all these things that you struggle with lose their power in light of the resurrection. It means that death doesn't win. The resurrection of Jesus means death doesn't win. Love wins. The resurrection of Jesus means your days of losing are over. Your days of being a loser are over through his death and resurrection. The Bible says we are now more than conquerors. Through Christ's love. Revelation 21 verse three says something powerful about God's spirit dwelling in us. He says, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the temple of God and the tabernacle of God is among men and he will dwell among them and they shall be his people and God himself will be among them and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be grieving, sorrow, mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. You know, the greatest solution, the greatest remedy, the greatest antidote to pain is the presence of God, because his presence makes the mountains melt like wax. And when he rose from the dead, his spirit no longer needed to dwell in the physical body of Jesus. So God sent his spirit to dwell in you. So when you're born again, his spirit comes to live inside of you and God will never leave you and he will never forsake you. But what if you've left him? What if you've forsaken him? Well, he's faithful to the end. We see we, we sing about it. We read about it in the Bible. He's faithful to the end. Faithful is he who began the good work in you and he will complete it until the day of his return. The Bible calls Jesus faithful. The Bible says God is faithful. And the Bible says that it is his faithfulness that makes him faithful. It is not your faithfulness that makes God faithful. It is his faithfulness that makes him faithful. And your unfaithfulness cannot make God unfaithful. Your unfaithfulness can only prove and demonstrate God's faithfulness is true. Even when we're unfaithful, he remains faithful. He remains faithful. He remains faithful. He remains faithful. Well, there's something about knowing that he will wipe every tear from our eyes. In Isaiah chapter 61, Jesus says this. And really, the writer of of the book of Isaiah, Isaiah himself is prophesying this, but he's really prophesying about something Jesus would then say. And Jesus ends up quoting this scripture in Luke chapter four when he first starts out his earthly ministry. And I want you to see this because what I'm talking to you today about is beauty for ashes. God wants to give you beauty for whatever ashes are in your life. And the way that he does that is he raises the dead. He is the God who raises the dead. And I want you to see how powerful it is and why it's so important, because in Isaiah 61, he says this. 
He says in verse one, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor, to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and freedom to prisoners, to proclaim the year of God's favor, the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn. And then he says this in verse three, he says to grant those who mourn in Zion, giving them the oil, giving them a, a, a a crown of beauty for ashes, a crown of beauty for ashes. I want you to say that, say a crown of beauty for ashes. He says a crown of beauty for ashes. He says the oil of gladness for mourning and the mantle of praise for the spirit of despair and heaviness. And I'm here to tell you something today, folks, because of the resurrection of Jesus, God is going to give you beauty for whatever ashes are in your life. What are ashes? Ashes are the burned remains, the burned remains of the wounded parts of your life. Ashes are the burned remains of the wounded parts of your life. We've all been wounded. We've all been burned. Life has burned us. People have burned us. We've burned ourselves. The devil has burned us. We, we have a, we have a, a history of ashes. Maybe your business went up in flames and is in ashes. Maybe your health is in ashes. Maybe your relationship is in ashes. Maybe you've been in a relationship that in the past and it's in ashes. Maybe you're in a new relationship today and that's not going so well. Maybe it is. But the fact is, is God is going to give you beauty for ashes because that's what he said he would do. And the fact that he rose from the dead is proof that he does what he says he will do. And if until we establish that fact, it's already established. But until we grab a hold of the fact that Jesus rose from the dead, we will constantly live in doubt and we will constantly live in fear and suspicion and wonder if God's going to keep his word. But if we can go and establish the fact that Jesus rose from the dead, then there is no promise in the Bible that you will ever doubt again, because if he can keep his promise to rise from the dead, then there is no promise in his word that he will not keep to you. But there are skeptics and there are doubters and there is wonder and there is confusion, even like I said earlier in a joking manner. But there is still wonder among churchgoers. Did the resurrection really happen? You know that they, that, that surveys have been done where 30 or 40 percent of people that call themselves born again aren't certain that Jesus rose from the dead. And I'm going to tell you something right now. You don't have to walk out of here with one ounce of uncertainty about his resurrection. And it is not blind faith and it is not just taking a leap and it is not just closing your eyes and hoping God's true and hoping he's right. There is evidence after evidence after evidence of his resurrection. And I'm going to get to that in a moment. But before I do, I want to give you hope for the ashes in your life. I want to give you hope for what's burned in your life, that if Jesus could rise from the dead, he can raise your ashes and and give you a crown of beauty. In fact, the word here, the word here in verse three for beauty is actually the word crown. It's a diadem. It's a tiara. It's a crown. To those who mourn, he says he will give them a crown of beauty for ashes. 
What do you, you see? All you got to bring to the table, folks, is the greatest deal in the universe. All you got to bring to the table is your ashes and he will give you a crown, the crown of beauty. And, you know, this word beauty means crown. It was what grieving people, they would put ashes on their head to express their grief. But God said, I want to give you a crown instead. You don't have to grieve anymore. When Jesus rose from the dead, he found Mary there. Mary came to the tomb. She was, I think, the first one right to come to the tomb. And she was weeping because he wasn't there. And she thought when he showed up, he was the gardener. And when he showed up, he said, Mary, or he, he didn't call her Mary at the time. He, but he said to her, woman, he said, woman, why are you weeping? Why are you weeping? Because they've taken my savior's body away. And he said, didn't he say, didn't he say that he would rise from the dead? Listen, he says, why are you weeping? The only thing that will leave you continually in tears and continually weeping is your doubting of the resurrection, because once you truly are convinced that Jesus rose from the dead, he will wipe every tear from your eyes. He will give you beauty for ashes. He will give you the oil of gladness for mourning. He will give you the spirit of praise for the spirit of heaviness and grief and sorrow and the desire to quit. Boy, who here hasn't felt like quitting at one time or another? Who here hasn't felt like we've all felt like that? We've all felt like giving up. We live in a very dark time, a very troubling world that in the last days, Paul said there will be haters of God, unthankful, ungrateful, turning away from God in the last days, but not you, because if you believe in the power of his resurrection, you'll believe every promise that he ever made and he will wipe every tear from your eyes. You won't walk around in your life covered in your head with the ashes of sadness and the ashes of despair and the ashes of failure and the ashes of a burned life. No, he's about to trade you. He already paid for it. So you might as well take what he paid for. And he paid for you to have joy instead of ashes. Beauty, 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 beauty instead of ashes. In Ecclesiastes, chapter three, verse 11, it says God makes all things beautiful. In his time, he makes all things beautiful. That word beautiful is a powerful word. You know what it means? It means. It, it, it means to. Fulfill and have a complete. Experience of the goodness of God, to have a complete experience of the goodness of God. But it doesn't feel like that all the time, does it? Whatever you're experiencing doesn't feel like the goodness of God. Sometimes it feels the opposite. But God wants you to anchor your confidence in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is not some some religion out there trying to compete for the hearts and minds of men. This is fact based. The resurrection of Jesus is not some blind thing that we try to put our faith in. The beauty for your ashes is going to happen when your faith is in his resurrection power, that he can do anything, no matter how bad it is, no matter how dead it is. You don't even there's sometimes we don't even have the, there are many of us here that sometimes we don't even have the desire to serve God. And you're wondering where Lord, where'd that desire go? And sometimes you just got to ask God to give you the desire 
to desire. And sometimes you can't you don't even have that. So you got to back that up one more step. Lord, give me the desire to desire to desire to serve you. And you just got to locate yourself. I don't care if it takes eight steps of desire. God will do it for you because Jairus came up to Jesus and he said, my daughter is dying. She's sick. Come lay hands on her. And Jesus started going with him in Mark, chapter five, starts walking with him to his house where his daughter was sick and dying. And on their way, she died on their way. See, Jesus started going with Jairus. And when Jesus started going with him, it got worse. Has it ever felt like that in your life? As soon as you accepted Jesus into your life, some things got worse. Your family situation, your health situation, marriage situation, financial situation, emotions. Why? Why does sometimes get worse? Why do sometimes things get worse? Because God wants you to know he's not limited by the condition that you're facing right now, because even if it gets worse, even if the little girl dies. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. In other words, it might look worse, but Jesus knows how to handle that. So he goes with him and they come and find the girl dead. And what does he say? Get every bit of doubters out of here. Why? Because doubt affects God. He said there was he could not do many miracles there because of their unbelief in one city that he went to his hometown. He couldn't do many miracles there because of their unbelief, because they didn't believe it wasn't that he didn't want to. It was that they didn't believe. And so what did he do? He said, get everybody out of this room who's doubting. Let the mother and the father stay with me and Peter, James and John. You boys are OK. You're, you're doubters sometimes, too, but I'm working on you. I'm, <laughs> right. <laughs> and so he says to them, everybody out of here. And he takes the girl by the hand and he says, you know, the famous Aramaic words, Talitha Kumai, little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl rose and walked. She was 12 years old and they were overcome with great amazement. And he said, give her something to eat, man. That is now that's a savior. I'm willing to follow the rest of my life. Not only will he raise me from the dead, not only will he give me beauty for ashes, but he's going to tell somebody to give me something to eat. Hallelujah. That's a Christianity I like. Saves you, raises you up, heals you, delivers you and then make sure somebody comes along with something to eat. Some of you ought to be like, I'm joining this church. Today is my day. I'm a member here. Somebody's going to give me something to eat. You know, we're really low on time, so I'm just going to get to the point here that Paul said something very powerful when he became a preacher in Second Corinthians, chapter one, verse eight and nine. I want to read this to you from the Message Bible in Second Corinthians, chapter one, verse eight and nine. He was surrounded with all sorts of pain and suffering and sorrow and is just being crushed because there was so much opposition. Have you ever felt like you had so much opposition? that it was killing you. You had so much pain, it was killing you. He said, 
We don't want you to be in dark. We don't want you to be in the dark, friends, about how hard it was when all of this came down on us in Asia. He says it was so bad. Listen to what he describes. Listen to how he describes this and see if you can find yourself here ever. It was so bad, he said. That we didn't think we were going to make it. Anybody ever felt like that? We felt like we were sent to death row. He said that it was all over for us. Anybody ever felt like that? But this is where if it was a TV show, it would be like to be continued right there. It's over for us. We feel like we've been sent to death row. I don't think we're going to make it. Pause to be continued dot dot dot. And if you're run out of dishwasher detergent, now is the time to order and come and, you know, your show will continue next week. You know, it's not like that anymore, where now you can binge watch everything. I like the old days when you had to wait a week. Anybody remember those days you had to wait a week for a TV show? Hey, they weren't so long ago. It wasn't so long ago when you didn't have DVR and all of that and Netflix and everything. But, you know, it's pretty cool to have it. Uh, But he says, we thought we were being sent to death row. It was all over for us. But as it turned out, look at what he says. But as it turned out, it was the best thing that could have happened. Instead of trusting in our own strength or wits to get out, we were forced to trust God totally. Can you believe today? Can you believe today with me that no matter what is the worst thing that's ever happened to you, God is able to turn it and make it the best thing that ever happened to you because it causes you to have to trust God totally and not trust in yourselves. And then he goes on to say this hilarious sentence. He says, not a bad idea since he's the God who raises the dead. We decided, man, we didn't even decide. It was like we were forced to trust God totally. Not a bad idea since he's the God that raises the dead and he did it. Rescuing us, rescuing us from certain doom and he'll do it again, rescuing us as many times as we need rescuing. Oh, can anybody say and he did it and he'll do it again as many times as I need it because he's the God who raises the dead. He's the God that gives beauty for ashes. He gives me a crown for my despair. I give him the ashes of fear and he gives me the crown of faith. I give him the ashes of depression and he gives me a crown of joy. I give him the ashes of condemnation and he gives me the crown of forgiveness and the crown of righteousness. Oh, beloved, you've been crowned today. You've been crowned today. The resurrection crowns you. The resurrection crowns you. No matter how bad it is, folks, no matter how close your situation looks dead, the more opportunity you have to trust God. The closer you are to a miracle resurrection, when it's at its darkest time, when you're in your midnight hour, when it seems like all hope is lost.
He will rescue you again and again as often as you need rescuing. Put your trust in God today. The number one reason for grief and sadness and sorrow for defeat and misery in this world today. And I know that it is controversial to people that don't believe in the resurrection, but that's the number one reason that there will ever be grief in this world. You know, he said, Paul said, he said, when a loved one dies, who's saved, when a Christian dies, we don't grieve like the world grieves because we have hope. Why? Because there's a resurrection and because there's a resurrection, there's hope without a resurrection. There is no hope. There is no hope. See, you could live 60, 70, 80, 90 years on this earth and you could even be happy. You can fill your heart with money and people and things and joy and and song and dance and entertainment and comedy and laughter and musicals and plays. And you can fill yourself with sports and and your job and family. And all of that is wonderful. And there's nothing really necessarily wrong with those things. However, if there is no resurrection, then we are all doomed and we are most to be pitied, the Bible says, if there is no resurrection, because if there is no resurrection, then what's the then what happens when we die? Let me tell you what happens when you die. You are resurrected to life or you are resurrected to death. You'll either spend eternity with God forever or you'll spend eternity without him and without him is hell. And whether that and, and not whether we know that the hell is full of fire and full of 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 torment. But the reason why it is most tormenting is not because of the fire, but because God is not there. Because even Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego could walk through fire and not be burned. Why? Because the fourth man was in the fire with them. Beloved. Let me let me say something about the resurrection of Jesus. It is a fact for a number of reasons. As we wrap this up together, it, the resurrection of Jesus is a fact. It's not a faith. It, we have faith in this fact, but it's not blind faith. Because Jesus, number one, because Jesus prophesied that he would rise from the dead. That's the first reason why we can put our faith and put our confidence in the fact of his resurrection because Jesus said he would do it and he did it. Secondly, because a stone that 20 men could not roll away was moved. This was not some little bundle of of pebbles at Jesus grave. This was a huge 2000 pound stone that sat on the top at the at the edge of a hill, but had wedges that held it in place. Nobody could move it. It was so huge that in this rich man's tomb where they laid Jesus, what they did to put the to put the stone over the tomb was all they did was they knocked the wedge out from from underneath it and it rolled down to cover the tomb. Nobody could roll it down. Nobody could roll it back up. It, its own weight was too much for any group of people to carry at the time, 20 Roman soldiers could not move the stone. And yet the stone was moved on the third day. And when the stone was moved, the tomb was empty on the third day. And when the tomb was empty, the grave clothes were in it on the third day. And when the grave clothes were in it, 
all of a sudden Jesus wasn't there. Why? Because he had already risen. He himself rolled the stone away. He himself moved the stone. He himself will move your stone. He himself will move whatever is in the way that man can't move. God will move. Let me tell you something. Prophecy is a reason why we can put our faith in the resurrection. A stone 20 men could not roll away. Mark chapter 16 is a reason why you can put your faith in the resurrection. Intelligent faith is a reason you can put your faith in the resurrection. It doesn't mean a leap in the dark, believing against all other evidence. No, it means our faith is in what Jesus said would happen, but it is confirmed by historical facts. The greatest scholars listen to me as we close. Professor Thomas Arnold, author of the three volume history of Rome and holder at a time of the chair of modern history at Oxford University. He wrote this. I know of no other fact in the history of mankind which has been proven by better and fuller evidence than the great sign that God gives us in that Jesus Christ died and rose from the dead. English scholar Brooke Foss Westcott wrote, taking all the evidence together, it is not too much to say that there is no historic incident better or more supported than the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Dr. Simon Greenleaf, professor of Harvard Law, examined the entire value of historical evidence of the resurrection of Jesus and came to this conclusion. And he writes, quote, according to the laws of legal evidence used in the courts of law, there is more evidence for the historical fact of the resurrection of Jesus than any other event in human history. These are not preachers, pastors or philosophers. These are historians that studied fact and studied evidence and can find no other event that had more evidence than the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And finally, the greatest evidence of all of the resurrection of Jesus is a changed life, a changed life. The hardest to convince are often our family members. And so were Jesus family members. And yet after his resurrection, his brothers came in to the church. They came in to the kingdom of God. The cowardly disciples who all ran away from Jesus at his cross all ran around the world to preach the gospel boldly at the at the cost of their own lives after the resurrection of Jesus. What could cause cowardly men to become the greatest evangelists and the boldest Christians that the world has ever known? What could cause a man to be boiled in oil like John and yet live and thrown down uh, two stories and yet live and fall on his knees and pray for the people that threw him down? What could cause a man named Peter to be crucified upside down because he didn't consider himself worthy to be crucified in the same way that his savior was crucified? What could cause him to have that boldness when he was the one who ran away and denied the Lord three times? What tell what caused him to have that boldness was that he knew the resurrection had happened. He saw Jesus. He witnessed Jesus. He experienced Jesus. He experienced his mercy, his forgiveness, his love, his goodness. My God. What could cause Thomas? 
Welcome God's Thomas, who we make fun of sometimes, but he became a great evangelist and the greatest missionary to the continent of to the nation of India that has ever existed. Yes, Thomas, the doubter, what caused him to become the greatest missionary in a, almost an entire continent was that he knew the resurrection was real. He saw his hands. He saw his feet. Five hundred eyewitnesses, 50 hours of testimony. It would have made the it would have it would have it would have been the most lopsided trial in all of history. Did Jesus Jesus really rise from the dead. There was more evidence of that than anything that's ever happened in this world. And there's more evidence of his resurrection than whatever ashes are burning in your life. Whatever things is burning in your life, the greater power is the resurrection of Jesus and he will turn your ashes into beauty. Today is your day. Today is your day. This holy Sunday, beloved, the final and indisputable evidence of the resurrection of Jesus is a changed life, yours, mine. And if yours hasn't yet, you're next. It is beyond any reasonable doubt. It is beyond anything that has ever been proven in human history. Jesus died, was buried. And on the third day, he rose again and in rising, he conquered death, he conquered the devil, he conquered fear, he conquered sin, he conquered whatever has conquered you. And today he says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me should not perish, but have everlasting life.